0: You're listening to Messes to Successes, a behind the scenes look at the strategies, tools, and insights that have taken businesses of all sizes from losing to winning with serial business builder Walden Fenster. For a VIP experience with Walden and the Venture Studios team, visit venturestudios.com/podcast. There you'll get access to a huge vault of resources including free business training, consulting, and an inside look at how to grow a successful business. Welcome to the Messes to Successes podcast. On this week's episode, we want to uncover the seven pillars of a successful business. Running a successful business isn't an accident. Uh, You don't stumble upon success. There are several factors that play into it. The good news is, if you know what those factors are, you can align your operations with them and give yourself a better shot at success. Walden Fenster has a great deal of experience operating successful and unsuccessful businesses, and he wants to spend this episode sharing what those success factors are. So welcome, Walden.
1: Cool, well, I appreciate your time today, Chad, and everybody listening.
0: Uh, Walden, first give us the 30,000 foot view of your experience as a business builder.
1: I'm originally from a little tiny cattle ranch in the middle of Wyoming. Now I am a entrepreneur in Chicago, Illinois, I've built and exited over a dozen companies and have been part of over 50 startups in the past 12 years.
0: Let's start with a definition. How do you define what is a successful business?
1: I think that is a uh, is a lawyer answer where it kind of depends. So uh, I, I've always defined success as what it means to the actual entrepreneur or the business owner. So whatever they see as success in their life. Some people it's getting a certain amount of zeros in the bank. Some of it's the amount of time freedom that they have. Some of it's about um, the legacy that they're leaving beyond them. You know, being able to leave a business for your kids is a different level of mindset on how you're going to build it, scale it, or even potentially exit it or not exit it, depending on what your strategy is. So like the definition of success is always going to be what the entrepreneur sees and what they see in their vision compared to, me imposing what my vision of success is for them.
0: Now, I've heard that about 90% of all business startups fail within the first year and and 90% of those that survive fail within five years. Is that still accurate?
1: It's pretty accurate. And the the crazy thing is, um, the more and more we evolve as society, like small, base, small to mid-sized businesses actually make up like 80 to 90% of the GDP too. So like we actually have a humongous amount of dollars flowing through small businesses, but they're still failing um, time and time again. And it's really because uh, there's a handful of things that you, you asked about success. There's typically six to seven things that we actually look for as a formula for success. It's just how we tweak that end, uh, end variable on where they want to be at, what their goals are and things like that. But like, Ultimately, you'd be shocked about how many businesses fail just because they don't have a goal in mind of where they want to be.
0: Okay, then let's get right into it. Uh, tell us what you believe is the first of the seven pillars.
1: So like the big thing and entrepreneurs have to have faith. And it's one of the first things that I, I look for not only in businesses, but also if I'm going to partner with somebody or go into a new business, we have to have faith that it's going to work because Faith is what's going to get you through the hard times. I mean, it's entrepreneurship. It's going to suck at times. (laughs) You know, like there's going to be not good times, but you have to have faith and know and kind of just walk by faith and not by sight in some situations where you just got to know that you know that you know that your business is going to succeed and that no matter what, um, no matter what hurdle comes at you, you're going to go over it.
0: All right. For many people, faith has a religious connotation to it, but you have said that faith is bigger than that. Can you give us how you define faith as it pertains to business and success?
1: So there is a lot of faith that goes into it. And without going down the religious um, side path, um, it's just having that gut level determination that no matter what, you have faith in your head and in your heart that what you are doing, whether it's a product, service, business nonprofit it doesn't matter but whatever you are doing you have to know that you know that you know that what you're doing is bettering the society bettering the globe that you're like you have to know that what you're doing is worth it because if it's not worth it you're going to quit the first time the first lawsuit comes or you're going to quit the first time that uh, the first employee quits, or maybe you don't even have employees. Maybe it's a manufacturing issue, whatever. But if you if you don't have that faith that, and just that overall just ability to know that it's going to work out, when those issues happen, you're going to quit. Uh,
0: let's put this in practical terms now. How can you tell if you have the pillar of faith working for you? U-
1: ultimately, did you quit? <laughs> <laughs> if you quit, I mean, you have to really... T- Take a step back and reevaluate that if you have the faith and the mindset of where you're headed is the end-all goal of where you want to be. Uh, if if you really have that mindset and you uh, it, it's overall like if I had to relate it to one like skill that somebody has that kind of shows you how how much faith they have, it's a teachability level. So like if somebody's really teachable they are going to take what people are telling them and apply it and they're going to seek out experts. They're going to go get consultants. They're going to bring on hired like experts that are really good at what they do and they have faith in what they're going to go do, you know, but like the the teachability side of it's actually a pretty good correlation between if somebody like just doesn't have overall faith in what they're doing They're they're building up boxes and walls and barriers around what they're already doing. They're not letting people in anymore. They're just trying to like go and go and go and do it themselves compared to the ones that are teachable, the ones that are hungry. uh, I've seen that be the biggest correlation between teachability and having overall faith that what you're doing is going to work.
0: So if I make 50 sales calls and turn up zero sales, faith is going to keep me from quitting?
1: Faith would keep, you. I, I, in my opinion, yes, because if if you get told no 50 times in a day, if you don't have faith that what you're doing is for the better good, you'd more than likely quit, <laughs> you know? So just like, you know, the, one of the, going back to the kind of some of the religious side, like Mormons get told no and the door slammed in their face every single day. And they, they're out there 365 days a year just pushing their message, you know? But if they didn't have that faith in what they're doing, was worth it they'd quit you know but the ones that like take it to the next level and become teachable learn new skills learn new like skill sets they go from being told no to like being told yes time and time and time and time again Because not only now do they have faith in what they're doing, but they were teachable and sought out professionals to take them to the next level.
0: So if I'm in a situation where my give up button, let's say, is way too easy to reach, what are some corrective measures I can take if my faith in my business or my business idea is lacking?
1: I'm a huge believer in having like physical items around you. So the movie is Inception with Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio, where they have like the, the totems or whatever. Todd Herman in his book, Alter Ego references having these totems also, you know, but like these things represent not only where you're at, but what you're going through. If, if you have this huge vision to be a billionaire, go after a billion dollar and build a billion dollar company or a hundred million dollar company, something, you know, like, but you're starting out from scratch with just an idea. The moment that you now have like your physical brand printed on something, it becomes a little more real. You know, the moment that you're wearing that brand, it becomes even more real. The more that now you're seeing your advertisements all over the interwebs, you know, it's becoming a little more real. These are all little things like in entrepreneurs' lives that are totems that represent where they're at and where they're at on their journey of the vision that they want to have. So, like, if you look at people that quit early or give up or just don't don't take it to the next level, it's usually because the vision that they've casted isn't either big enough or motivating enough for them to get there, you know, and they don't have those totems or milestones in place on that vision. So if you're a startup, go get business cards, get your logo on you everywhere, you know? So like, it's actually like a totem saying, man, I'm switched on. My company is awesome. My brand is wearable. Like I I never advocate for people getting like tattoos of the company just in case, but like you, you want to have like representation of like where you're at on the path, because then it's more the bite by bite scenario on how to eat an elephant instead of trying to eat the whole elephant. Like, man, I just saw my, my first ad go up or now I'm on TV on this commercial, whatever it is, but like it's these milestones, you know, I went from radio. Now I'm on TV. Now I'm all over social media, whatever it is. But like, this stair stepping up and it's just the more that you can go that granular route, the less likely you're going to quit because you're, you're segmenting your risk and you're segmenting all the no's and issues that might be coming up.
0: I remember the first time I launched a business website and a Facebook page for my business. It made my idea seem so much more real. First
1: domain name, man. It's <laughs> off. I think it kind of wears off over time, but it's always like one of those first things that you start with in a business. You know, you go solidify your name and your branding and your like web, web domain and all these things because they're all really important things because you're like you're building your future, you know, mm-hmm. you're building what you're, uh, what your vision is, you're, you're bringing it to life, and those those little things like they're just, yeah, they're check marks on a task list. But overall, like it helps you get that, your it helps get yourself to buy into the vision that you're creating. So
0: you're listening to Messes to Successes with Walden Fenster, Walden. We've identified the first pillar of a successful business is faith. So let's move on to the second pillar.
1: Yeah. So the other, the next one, and these are not in order. This is just the seven things that I've isolated and found in different levels of successful businesses. So like you might be like, Oh yeah, faith is number one, but technically depending on how your business is structured, it could be later on in the pillars, but like um, pillar number two that I usually like to address is clients, clients and sales. But like overall, if you don't have clients, you don't really have a business, which is kind of a big issue. Just like if you only have one client, that's a big issue also, you know, like if you're just dedicated to one person, it's a huge risk, huge, like lack of reward. <laughs> if you're dedicated to one person, you know, so we, we, I like to step in and look at the client base of what people have and see, because if the, there's a handful of different business models out there that you could be going with, you know, there's a lot of stuff online nowadays, there's digital businesses, there's more brick and mortar, but those are typically failing now and becoming more like, I, I don't know. We saw in Chicago, they've been trying to convert old malls into like homeless shelters. So, like, brick and mortar is slowly going away, uh, depending on the model that they're in. So, I mean, just different models represent different things, but that's where the clients, and you'll never hear me call them customers, you'll never hear me call them patients or donors or whatever it is. They're all clients, no matter what business model it is, because a client is a long term relationship. So, I have clients that have been clients since my first business 12 years ago that are still with me today. Just like I have employees that have been with me from the very beginning and very loyal people from the very beginning too. So like that mindset that we were just talking about of like creating this long-term vision is not fulfilled by customers. It's not fulfilled by an order. It's not fulfilled by calling somebody a patient or a donor if you're a nonprofit. It's like don't label th- – something as a one-time transaction. These people are clients they're clients for life. Once that email goes on your list, they're on there forever unless they opt out, but like more than likely they're with you forever, you know? So like looking at those clients really shows you how stable that pillar is in that business. So that, that client list is going to show you that, Hey, if one thing happens over here in the economy, does, does the whole business go away? You know, if this industry gets one compliance thing like that happens, you know, like does this whole business go away? Or uh, just by looking at the clients, you might be saying, hey, your your marketing strategy and your niche is way off, you know? So like looking at the client list and really figuring out that persona of who their ideal client is will lead you to a higher level of success in business. But that pillar ultimately shows you what stage the business is in too. Because if you go look at, like an adidas or a nokia or a chevy or whoever uh they they have a very defined client base and they know that that pillar is not going anywhere you know it's it's built around the brand it's brand recognition but that that client list that they have are very loyal brand advocates apple versus samsung you know things like that where it's just that, that client base is going nowhere Compared to maybe a startup over here, that you go look at their client list, maybe they have one or five or ten clients, but like they're all over the place. Like it's not a it's not a defined client base. It's like, yeah, I got my aunt and my mom and uh, the guy down the street and like whatever, just as a rough example, but like their client base is usually all over the place. And that's a telltale tough, tough sign of like somebody that's just starting out in business, compared to even involving being five years in and knowing. Okay, here's my loyal customers, but we're still taking scraps and like we have all these other like things going on still, you know, so it's just it's a helpful pillar to look at.
0: I don't remember if you told me about this or if I read about it, but I heard about a contractor whose only client was a major big box retailer. And he was making millions upon millions with that one client. But when that big box went through bankruptcy, the first thing they shed was their independent contractors, right? And that left him, of course, in a real mess. Talk about the importance of maintaining a wide and diverse client base. It seems obvious, but it's not.
1: Yeah, and like that's going to ultimately come down to the business model that they're in. So, uh, yeah, and I, I do believe we were the, we were talking about the Best Buy situation. But like it's also – it's it's – it's very easy for people that are independent contractors to go after those one to two jobs, you know, and just have like a very small client base where they're just delivering awesome service and they're, they're getting paid really good money for having one or two clients. But like there's no diversification there. So Best Buy goes bankrupt by bye a contractor, you know, but that's, that's how most major corporations think is usually the independent contractors, the third parties, the vendors, people like that those are the first people to get cut when things go bad, you know? So like if, if you're sitting there and all of your, let's, let's use like telecom as an example or something with cell phones or something like that, where basically your whole world is built up on Apple, you know, or maybe it's all on Samsung, whatever it is. Now Samsung or Apple like changes something and now your business goes away. You know, like it's just, it's, you have to be diverse in what you're doing and being like watching your, your peripherals on ways to pivot in your business model so that you don't get sucked into one or two clients.
0: Now, with each of these pillars, there's indicators that it's working and indicators that it isn't in your business. Uh, We talk about the corrective measures that a business needs to take to pivot, and that's a great way of describing it, Uh, because sometimes you need to strengthen that pillar in your own business, or you recognize maybe there's a change in the market or in the industry, and you have to pivot to adjust. How can you pivot to broaden your client opportunities?
1: And this goes back to kind of building out that foundation and that vision of where you want to be. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not like saying, hey, if your industry is mowing grass over here, you should go like start like rebuilding cars too or something. You know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not saying like go after and start all these different revenue channels so that you're diverse. What I am saying is there are complementary services. There are ways to build bundles that take you from being a a one-to-one, even consultant type of person to a one-to-many type of salesperson where now you're training up or doing informational based products, or maybe you launch a digital course or something on teaching people how to be successful or whatever it is. But like, that's how even like the Amazons of the world, you know, they they pivoted into um, servers and that's really where they're at now is like, they, they went from shoes to books to like, they've been all over the place, but now they're really a one-stop shop and they, they can, they're competing with Alibaba, of course, which is also another one-stop shop. What's really diversifying them and making them have a, an additional pivot point is that AWS and like that server space, because now they're stepping into more of the digital realm of things plus their whole business runs on servers. So now that that vertical like integration of a, a revenue channel is something that they can also benefit from within. So they, they step back, they analyze where they're headed with the future of not only retail, but like all the different services and things that they have to offer through Amazon. And yeah, they came up with AWS, which is gonna be, become probably one of the biggest like sole revenue generators of Amazon.
0: We're talking to Walden Fenster on the Messes to Successes podcast. Of the seven pillars of a successful business, we've identified faith and clients. So let's move on now to the third pillar.
1: Pillar two and pillar three are very similar because if you don't have clients, it's about isolating and finding out why you don't have clients. And typically that starts with lead generation. So lead generation or marketing, that whole strategy, that whole pillar, if there's a weakness in clients it's usually a weakness in pillar 3 too so if if for some reason they are really good about lead generation then they just suck at sales and closing which we'll get to later cuz that's a different pillar but uh pillar 3 being lead generation really comes down to isolating your your target market and figuring out where those people are at and how to get to them so like lead generation can be anything from offline to online it can be anything from Uh, running print to social media, to CPC, which is cost per click. Uh, I mean, it it really becomes a huge part of your business is how you keep getting leads into the sales funnel process. So like, that's usually, if people are complaining about lack of revenue, it's usually the first place I look is, at the, the lead generation portion of the business.
0: So let's take an example. Let's say I run I, a hair salon and I have 14 slots a day and they're all full every day. I'm, I'm too busy working to focus on bringing in more business. Why should I care about lead generation when my day is full?
1: Well, you think it, well, there's two things. So <laughs> uh, I actually just talked to a chiropractor about the same exact subject. So like, he's like, yeah, I was busy. I'm like constantly busy. Like Monday through Wednesdays, like, or Monday and Wednesdays are my heavy days. And it's like, I don't stop from six to six. Like, it's just like cram, 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 cram. And he's just like, and I really don't need to go the marketing route or for lead gen. And I was like, well, do you, or don't you, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where nowadays, even, even lead gen is part of your branding. It's part of your brand exposure it's part of the awareness of you and your brand, because even if you have to create a wait list for your product and service, that's better than not having a wait list and not having people lined up ready to go. So just like we were talking about earlier with the diversification of clients, something happens to one client or one niche, maybe you're a chiropractor and all your servicing is uh, baseball players that have bad shoulders or something, you know? So now the baseball team goes away. Now you're sitting there with no clients. You know, it's the same thing where um, lead generation the best case scenario is you have a wait list for your product or if it's a physical product, retail product, the best case scenario is that you're constantly having to reorder your product and having to deal with backorder situations, which is a whole different story for a different time. But like, ultimately there's, there's never going to be a time where you should not be marketing and creating more leads for your business because at that point you start to shift and, Pivot a little bit in your revenue models where now you can either start charging more and have the cream kind of rise to the top, or you can lower your costs bring on more teams of people to keep fulfilling and leveling up but it's it's ultimately. That lead generation piece is a critical piece to scaling the business to whatever level that you want to be at.
0: You see this with creative businesses all the time, don't you? Graphic designers, web developers, musicians, photographers, they build a big book of business and they don't dare take on any more work because they're full, but when the projects are over or clients move on, there's attrition, well, then there's nothing new in the pipeline to keep the checks coming in. So then they have to start all over and face weeks or months with no income. How do you find the balance between staying busy and keeping the pipeline full?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a telltale sign of the business because at that point, that person should still be bringing on clients, but they need to be outsourcing and bringing on more people. So, I mean, that's it's typically one of the first things I advise smaller businesses to do is go get either a project manager or go get um, another person that can start to take stuff off your plate so that you can focus on growing the business and they can focus on running the business you know so like you Mm -hmm. start leveling up in people and scaling up but like if you have if like the worst thing that go through in business is lead deficit order you know when you don't have any business coming in and you don't have any leads coming in to talk to either. <laughs> you know, or even getting people onto a website could technically be considered a lead depending on what type of website you have, you know. So like it's just lead deficit order is a terrible part of any business to go through. That's why I never advise people to shut off their marketing or stop doing lead gen. It's just what happens with the strategy like when those leads are just sitting there. So maybe you have a waitlisted course, maybe you Can create a new revenue channel to fulfill these prod or these uh, leads over here and turn them into clients, you know But it's creating a solution because obviously these people have pain points that need solved your product fulfills it Now it's getting creative in ways to level up and scale up so that you can get to them and help them
0: I've heard people say I can't afford to hire help, but I can't afford not to how do you finally overcome that tipping point?
1: It's a, it's a crazy world we live in as entrepreneurs, right? And that's, that's kind of going back to the face side, like having mm-hmm. faith and being teachable. So like most, most of the time I can tell if the person, if they're a smaller based business is going to go on to be successful or not. Cause usually one of the first things I tell them to go do is hire in, you know, bring people in. And if they don't have faith, their business is going to succeed and keep growing. They're not going to hire in, which shows mm-hmm. me that they're lacking faith and they're lacking teachability, you know, so that that whole pillar is weak. So
0: we're talking about the seven pillars of a successful business, and we've covered the first three faith, clients and lead generation. So, Walden, let's move on now to number four.
1: And once they become a lead, how do you convert them to be in a client? It's sales and negotiation. So. Mm-hmm. Sales and negotiation is a pillar that most people are just like, yeah, it's a sales process, you know, but what they don't realize is negotiation is the act of doing business. So like negotiations is every part of business. It's both on your sales side, but also your vendor side. So like it, it's truly the one pillar that if you can really master, not only do you save your business a ton of money, but you're able to go make more of it because if you think about it, every single aspect of your, of your business comes down to dollars and cents, money, cash flow, you know? So like if you're sitting there and you're going to go negotiate, whether it's with a client to get a better contract or whether it's with a vendor, an employee, a contractor, whoever it is to get the best rate over here, your, your, your margins are increasing because of the same thing. So like a company that I had for a long, long time was in the marketing and web space, you know, where... We, we used outsourced people to fulfill work, but we, we brought in clients all over the globe. We did stuff for Discover Card and MasterCard, like the Blackhawks, like, like big, big companies, Subways, the gym Beams of the world, all the way down to startups all over the globe. We did it all using contractors and third-party people outside of at one time we had like eight or ten employees, you know, stateside. Uh, but basically, if you look at the sales and negotiation piece of that, it is, okay, we're going to go teach our salespeople how to go get like crazy high-end uh, proposals, $10,000, dollars $200,000 proposals. And then on the other end, we're going to negotiate with our vendors and our contractors to get the lowest rate possible. So that that skill set of sales and negotiation increased our margins in both ways because now we're paying less and we're getting higher profit margins. So like like it's just that one skill set is crucial that businesses have it. And if they don't have it, it's just one of those things of realization and knowing that, okay, we're weak here, like let's go through some training. Let's do some workshops. Let's figure out the, the sales and negotiation piece of our arm of our company. Because like, even if you're starting to look at nonprofits, they still have to negotiate. They're still doing sales. They're still like going after their clients being donors and getting them to write bigger checks. While working with vendors to put on events for the lowest price possible, you know, so it it doesn't matter what business, what industry, what idea, what product service that you have, if you can sell and you can do negotiations like on a high level, it's going to take your business to a different level.
0: Okay, now, negotiation is one of those words that throws people, because we tend to think of negotiation as something United Nations diplomats do, or maybe the vice president of sales. And we think of negotiation as a kind of arm twisting, trying to squeeze that last little bit out of a vendor or a client to save some money or to work out a little extra profit. And I just finished a great book on negotiation that said, um, but negotiation is a part of Every transaction, on some level, I just finished a great book on negotiation that said the question is not whether or not you will be a negotiator, but whether or not you'll be a, but whether you will be a good negotiator or a poor one, and so we leave money on the table because we don't know when to negotiate or we don't know how to. Can you explain how that fits into sales?
1: Yeah, and I, uh, I've also read that same book. So mm-hmm. uh, very good book. It's on my shelf right now, actually. Still waiting for the author to sign it but like uh well, we can get to that later maybe i'll drop the link to it in the comments or something but uh it's a it's a great book but it does talk about how most people have this perception that it's basically a hostage negotiation it's like yeah it's yes or no it's this all intense like we're just going after it you know compared to like the same guy once told me that um mastery is reflected by fun you know, which is actually the last pillar that we'll get to today. But, um, like, if you're truly a master of something, it becomes fun. You know, so if, if you're not having fun while you're doing sales, if you're not having fun while you negotiate, it's just because it's, it's a skill set that you haven't mastered yet. You haven't put in your 10,000 hours yet, you know, which 10,000 hour rule is a study done by multiple universities that shows once you've done 10,000 hours at something, you can actually say that you've mastered the skill set or you became an expert at that skill set. So if if you truly are not happy and having fun while negotiating, it's just showing you that you haven't quite mastered that skill set yet. But the good news is there's people out there like Jan Potgeeter and Imperium negotiations that like literally will go through and help train you and educate you on the steps to take in negotiation. So like mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where more knowledge more leveling up, you know, which is why most CEOs are reading two to three books a week sometimes, you know, just to make sure they're always constantly honing those skill sets.
0: And they always have a coach helping to identify and work on their blind spots, right?
1: Great realization to have too, because yep. once, and that goes back to color one too, that correlation between that faith and being teachable is, if you can be teachable, you can literally teach yourself to do anything. You can learn anything like the first two businesses that I sold and exited, I didn't know how to build websites. So I taught myself how to build a website. You know, like it's just you you go through these roller coasters of being entrepreneurs where you gotta figure out whether it's worth your time to learn a skill set or not. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if if it's worth your time, just be teachable. Go to go to Rabbi Google or go to go to YouTube or pick up a book and learn what you need to learn.
0: So. You're listening to the Messes to Successes podcast with serial business builder Walden Fenster, and we've covered four of the seven pillars of a successful business. We've talked about faith and clients and lead generation and now sales and negotiation. So heading into the final stretch, let's talk about number five.
1: Which number five is, it, it's one of the cornerstones of the whole business, but it's the operations and systems side of things. So uh, which I guess some people can see it as a, the team side of things too, but really operations is it's the dry, boring side of the fun, sexy side of sales and marketing. You know, so but it's the operation side is what gets the job done, fulfills orders, creates those processes and systems, uses technology, does all the, the nitty gritty stuff that runs the whole business, but when people start to think about a business that's scalable and can be duplicated and grow and all these things, it's got to have that tech component to it. And it has to have that operations piece to it. If it doesn't, then it's just literally like we're bringing all this money, but we have no idea the numbers behind the business. We don't have it. We have tech systems everywhere. Like we're, we're just like if, if you're scatterbrained, you cannot scale scatterbrained because it cause <laughs> more issues than anything. You know, right. so like it's sitting back realizing that like most people start their entrepreneur journey on the sales and marketing side. They're like, okay, I have this idea for this widget, the service, whatever it is. I'm just going to go sell it and see who buys it and gives me money. And then once they give them money they're like, crap, what do I do now? You know, like, type of mindset. Whereas if you start to look at like the plan that we were talking about very early on in pillar one, it's that, that plan of where you want to be at and the milestones and things that are happening along the way. But like, you have to know that that system and that just overall operations component needs to be built from day one so that when you get into it and you're hiring your third or fifth or tenth employee, you have manuals, you have processes, you have all that stuff set up so that if this happens, this happens type of thing. Because what that does is it creates a, the ability to actually grow and scale and hire in components of the business instead of having to find a jack of all trades or a Julie of all trades and make them have to know everything about your business from day one.
0: I remember an example you shared with me of a young entrepreneur who had a great product idea in the video space. Uh, now he, he had a great website, great marketing copy, promotions and incentives. Uh, but when it came to operations, that was the missing pillar for him. What did you say to him in that situation?
1: Oh man, there, there's a couple of things. I believe I told that young entrepreneur, <laughs> so, like, um, Like, literally, you you cannot scale, like, a cluster F of anything. So, like, but second of all, if you do not know what you're, like, throwing your darts at, you know, like, how, how are you able to see if you've been hitting the target? But then on the operation and system side, once you do hit that target what's going to happen to that client, you know, and then where are the true numbers at in that business model, which is what the ops and the system side is of it. So if you don't know your numbers, you're never going to continue to optimize your business. You're going to, you're going to get flutter pitted out. You never hire that first person. You're never going to hire that video person. You're never going to hire that assistant, whatever it is. But like, even though more than likely you had the money from day one, as soon as you hit that client and hit that bullseye, you know, when you're shooting at it and, It's just if you don't have the ops and systems come in, what happens the day that you go from one one client to maybe you hit a home run and now you have 10 or 20 clients that come in the door? Would that actually help you or would it hurt you? Would that actually crush your business or would that be a catalyst to take you to the next level? If you don't have operations and systems in place, if I handed you 20 or 100 clients right now or 1,000 clients or whatever that number is, would it? crush your business? Would you go out of business trying to fulfill on all that? Or would you actually have the systems and processes in place to make it happen?
0: So if if you're working with a small business and you see that maybe they have a great marketing scheme or a great product, but there's no operational systems that they can scale, what is the corrective measure that you take to fix that?
1: It's, it's something I call a tech audit. So tech audit is going to show you just anything and everything there is to know about that business from the employee side of things to um, every single moving component of the tech. So where the websites are at, what systems need to talk to each other. Do you have time clocks? Do you have payroll? Do you have accounting? How are all these things communicating and talking and working together? Uh, and that's done through a tech audit and that tech audit, uh, as long as you know what you're looking for, it doesn't have to take weeks on end what usually does need to happen though is do some one-on-one interviews with the actual employees or owners of the company and figure out what systems they're using day-to-day, what they use them for, the importance of them, and how much ultimately do those things cost? So uh, like we, we were just doing a, a restructure of a company here um, over the last 60 days or so. And when we first jumped into it, doing going through this tech audit process, we found that just about every single person was using a different software for something else. So then you start to add up all that tech waste and that tech spin, because it's not centralized. So everybody's wasting time trying to learn other things or they're getting pulled in 12 different directions. And now you're spending money on 38 different systems, you know, which is an accurate number for this company that we just got done working with. So like literally 38 systems that we centralized down to one or two But it all started with that tech audit of figuring out what people are using different things for and how to get rid of them. Because the moment that you can cut 10, 20, 30 different software for service, like membership style, like softwares out of a business, you just skyrocketed that bottom line. You know, your profit margins just went way up when you, because now you're saving six to seven figures a year in tech waste. Awesome but it's, it's centralizing, but you have to know the the vision and plan for where those people are at. So if, if you tell me you're going to build a business on sales funnels, you know, there's, there's a few softwares out there that can help you build a really nice sales funnel, but ultimately like what, what's after that? So where's the fulfillment piece? Do you have a fulfillment center doing it? Okay. How's that integrate with your taxes and your bookkeeping software and how does it integrate with your payment processing? How does it integrate? Like the question is, is how does it integrate? You know, because the operations and system side you can build those tech out. out pretty easy and diagram them all out, but then it's figuring out what things are like, they're just irrelevant or they're just not needed so mm-hmm. that you can centralize and pull all the tech into one spot. And then once that steps in one spot, it's, it's, training up the team of people to use that one thing, you know, because mm-hmm. what, what gets the system if the team is actually not even going to use it? So
0: you're listening to the Messes to Successes podcast with Walden Fenster, and we're looking at the seven pillars of a successful business. We've looked at faith, clients, lead generation, sales and negotiation, and operations. Um, so now let's move on to pillar number six.
1: Yeah, number six. And I, I hate this subject because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> so it this, is, this is one of the things that I hire out and like, I, I should always do the disclaimer that I'm not an attorney and I'm not an a law, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a fiduciary advisor none, none of that. So don't come back to me and try to like say, I told you to go do this because I'm just telling you from my experience what happened. But like I, I suck at the money side of the business and pillar mm-hmm. six is the money. Like it's literally, it's literally sitting down, going through financial statements and going through projections and quarterlies and cash flows and PNLs, all these things, because literally if you don't know where your money's going, your, your business, you, you cannot for one scale it, but for two, you can't, you can't even like, tell me, tell me what your top selling item is or tell me what, like, so there's so many issues that come with not knowing your numbers, you know? So whether it's figuring out where your top profit margin projects are or products or services or whatever, or whether it's where do we spend the most money last month and what can we trim out on the tech software side? You know, like but it's, it's literally knowing all the numbers that are part of the business so that if I come to you and ask you, hey, if I sell a, if you sell a $10,000 project over here, what's your project or what's your profit margin? All the all these different like margins that you need to know, because literally you could like be crushing it and doing multiple millions of dollars on like a specific SKU and it could actually be costing you money and you wouldn't even know it if you didn't know the numbers so like the numbers and like the money side of thing is it's really what leads businesses from a small or maybe a startup to small then a small to a bigger business is the evolution of those finances and how to actually like start to uh, project and do forecasting with those numbers because the money's the money doesn't lie. The mon- the numbers don't lie. You know it's impossible for them to lie. <laughs> you know <laughs> a person could cook the books and lie, but it's like the numbers will never lie. And it's it's just critical to know that cash flow is king. And if without cash flow in those those money analysis like statements, like if you don't have cash flow, you don't have a business. It means that you're going to be constantly stressed. You're gonna be under the pressure of having to close a certain amount of business all the time. But if you don't have cash flow into the business, you don't have flexibility, you don't you don't have the mm-hmm. ability to pivot, you're locked in and you're painted into a corner of having having to have forced growth, which doesn't help any entrepreneur or business owner. So like the, the main number I like to focus on is cash flow, but overall it's just knowing where all the numbers are at in a broad scope of view. But like I'm not an accountant, I'm not a CPA. I'll never pretend to be, and I will never advise people on what to do with their money. But I would advise people to hire in people that know and are very good about accounting. So what
0: I hear you saying is that a business can have a ton of money coming in and still be failing. What's the indicator that that's the case?
1: By following the money, usually. But like, if you follow the money through there, you're going to figure out where they're blowing money, where there's excessive amounts of employees, whether there's vendors that are ripping them off, whether it's just overall a bad product because there are such things as bad products and they're called loss leaders. So like just because you're losing money on it doesn't mean you should throw it away. You know, the concept of a loss leader is something that you're basically creating and you're just going to give away or at least try to break even on, you know? So in the the digital marketing space, it's, Hey, we're going to go write a book or an ebook. We're going to pay all these people to create all this content. And then I'm going to give it to you for an email address. <laughs> you know, like, of course, that skew is going to always be in the red. You know, you're never going to come out of that one. You know, it's not like you're going to go sell, and become a best time, like, like award winning author based on an ebook and make millions of dollars on it. You know, it's considered a loss leading product. But by following the numbers, you're going to see like how much time and money went into that book what the outcome was as far as leads. You know, so it's following those numbers, no matter what the business is, no matter what the service is, following those numbers per SKU, per sale, per order, and figuring out like where you're either not running as efficient as you should be, or you're not as or maybe your system's not as optimized as it should be.
0: Awesome. So now we're down to the last of the seven pillars of a successful business. Walden, what is number seven?
1: I hit on this during sales and negotiation because Literally, if <laughs> mastery is reflected by fun, so pillar seven is fun. And if if a business is truly like struggling and things like that, you're going to see a lack of fun, which is a great indicator that it's failing. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not that hard; it's not rocket science. You know, so like, uh, but fun. If somebody's having fun and they can actually like, basically, like I said, with sales and negotiation, ten thousand hours makes you an expert. Okay, so once you're an expert at something, it's reflected by how much, or a master in some some rings. But once you are at that level, how much fun are you having while you're doing it? Like, I I was gifted from a very young age with sales and negotiation. You know, so like I've gone through the ten thousand hours of sales and negotiation. That's why it's fun for me. Like when I'm negotiating contracts, when I'm negotiating cars, houses, whatever it is it's fun. I love it. I will do it for other people. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it, I love it, you know, and then you take a different skill set, like, and one that I, like, I'm trying to build up to, but like, just um, being like a funnel expert, or just like looking at funnels, you know, like, I've probably put maybe three to 5,000 hour, three to 4,000 hours, probably into learning, like how to create my own sales funnels. Like, I'm not an expert at that. I still go through times where I freaking hate building it and I don't like to do it. I'd rather just hire it out. But if I hire it out, I'm cheating myself on learning how to do it and becoming a master at a funnel, you know, and three to 4,000 hours of education on anything still makes you a lot more of an expert than like the person that's just graduated in college or like just not even going to college, but just teaching themselves and just started, you know, so you have to be respective of where you're at on that process so that you can have some self-reflection there. But like overall, once you start to hit those five, seven, 10,000 hour marks, you know, you start to have more fun at it. You know, it becomes like more of a a gamified model, you know, so now I can sit down with somebody and say, Hey, let's, let's see how fast we can build a funnel, you know, and then it becomes fun because now it's a little game that you have set up, you know, but when you're first building a funnel, you're like, what the heck do I do? Where do I get a domain name from? Like, it's frustrating. It's irritating. Maybe my APIs aren't linking. All these different things. And it's just like, it's the worst time ever because you're trying to figure it all out. You know, so it's not fun. You know, so as you have this progression in business from either an entrepreneur to a small business, small to large, like, let me tell you what, exiting a business is pretty damn fun. <laughs> like, So, I mean, it's just as you start to evolve and start to master your skill set, master your business, you start to see higher up levels of leadership have a lot more fun. You know, like I'm pretty sure that like a Jeff Bezos has a lot of fun in his life or an Elon Musk, you know, like they, they go do really fun stuff, but they're also at their like pinnacle growth points where they've gone through tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours of like, like learning and education and going through all those hurdles and, like all those like trials and tribulations that they went through to get to where they're at. Now it becomes fun because like you, you see them out there on their private jets. I've never seen anybody ride on a private jet that wasn't smiling. <laughs> like, it's just, it's different experiences with different levels of success. But as, as we were talking about at the beginning, it's, it's mapping out and kind of reverse engineering. And I loved your example about the FedEx track, like reverse engineering is a powerful, powerful skill set that if you can actually do it in a business model, it's, it's going to create insane amounts of success because you know where you need to be. And then you reverse engineer and create your tasks. So it's mm-hmm. like this, like creating fun into your business, you can schedule fun. Like most people like, that are in like an operational standpoint accountants, those people like that, like they're, they're more dry people, but they can still schedule to have fun. They can go out and like have a couple drinks. They can go, whatever, you know, but like, like, once that flexibility kicks in where you have that time freedom, you can choose to have fun or you can choose to schedule fun. But like when I'm looking at an entrepreneur or at a business and I'm looking at a potential client, I'm looking at that level of fun in their life right now. And if they're not having it, why? And if they are having it, it just gives me a little bit more portrayal into that person because if any of these other pillars don't like, or not working out, that level of fun could be affecting those pillars, you know? So like you have a certain level of fun that you're wanting to go drive Lamborghinis, but you're only making $15 an hour. Like your business is going to crumble because you're trying to have too much fun, you know? So like, like you have to analyze that fun level, but see see how it relates to those other six pillars. But
0: it's not just for fun in the entertainment sense of the word, but it's do you enjoy what you do? Is that right?
1: Right. Do you like waking up and like putting your shoes on and going to your work, whether it's in your basement in an office, whether it's like in an office space, whether it's flying around the world, like are you having fun doing what you're doing? You know, the moment that it becomes not fun is when you start to, be more affected by the word no or just like just having a different perspective of the business because like if, if you're constantly jet lagged or you're like now, now you've been in the business for 10 years and you've been flying all over the globe and it's not, it's not fun anymore, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out a different reward because when you first started that business, flying to 17 million different countries out there and having a blast with the clients and doing all this stuff, it's a great time 10 years later after all those miles and wear and tear like it's not fun anymore you know just so exhausting. what they make it fun you know so it's just that perspective of where you're at and always having like i'm a huge advocate for rewards and awards so like like just how can you reward yourself even like like if if it's just time away or like something something small that you can get yourself it doesn't have to be flying on a private jet but like it could be like No, I'm going to take myself to a nice restaurant for dinner just by myself, you know, just get away, reward myself for whatever, you know, or if you're more of a people person, maybe it's hey, I'm going to take a whole I'm going to take the whole sales team out and we're gonna have a great time, you know, but like it's just figuring out how to do those rewards and awards.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that if you're not having fun doing your business, you haven't mastered at least one of the necessary skills to run your business. And you either need to invest in developing that skill in yourself, or you might need to slam on the brakes, which I've done, and hire someone who has already mastered that skill. Now, I've been in the place where I just had to stop fighting with some aspect of my business where I was not strong and hire someone who was already not just strong, but having fun doing that piece, whether it was accounting or HR or or some other. No, and that's why I
1: said it's a good indication of those other six pillars, because like if you have um, if you have a surplus of clients, it allows you to have a little more fun because there's a lot more revenue coming in. If you have leads like crazy, like. Like all that stuff's good, but like the moment that any of these pillars start to like lack a little bit. So maybe your operations in your system suck, you know, and you're having to dedicate a whole bunch of time because your websites are always breaking or emails aren't sending or being delivered something, you know, like that is a terrible situation and not allowing you to have fun. The moment that your systems are automated and now you don't have to put 10 hours a week into fixing websites, where's that 10 hours going? You know, mm-hmm. like it's just, it's figuring out that because then it also like, if you know where the money's at, you know, your cash flows, you know, what level of fun that you can go have. <laughs> so like if any of these other pillars are even lagging a little bit, it's going to, it's reflecting in the amount of fun. And that's just my personal opinion, of course. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I've been around like almost two dozen billionaires and like, it's it's something where... Like you don't see too many down faces in crowds like that.
0: Well, now that brings up an important point. Uh, My guess is that there's someone listening right now who like me has identified at least one pillar where they need help. Maybe several. (laughs) You mentioned one, um, you mentioned under the first pillar the idea of teachability, the willingness to sit with an expert, uh, have them diagnose where the business needs some guidance to make a course correction. What services do you offer to provide that kind of personal guidance?
1: So, we actually do a lot of um, live events where we'll do 10 to 12 to 14 person small, like completely free mastermind little sessions each, like. Um, our, our quarterly schedule is usually up on the website, so we can drop a link in there, but it's typically, it's a free resource that you can go to an area or maybe, maybe you live in a place like Colorado or Montana or Wyoming, where it's like crazy amount of snow right now. You want to go to Texas for like a weekend or something like we have events around the whole, the whole nation in the United States. Um, so that we are able to put on events and help business owners walk through that. If it's more of a, a tailored one-on-one approach that you're looking for, more of like that the tech audit that I was talking about or advice on lead gen or sales or whatever, normally we do fit calls and they're evaluated at 497 So just under $500 for an hour. Well, it's 45 minutes, but typically we go to an hour uh, worth of analysis and like just going through your business and figuring out what's going what's going on. What's going on. What's going right what's going wrong just like overall like feeling it out but because of um, just really stepping more into the consulting side we've actually been giving those calls away for free Um, it's first come first serve and basically there's a uh, link to my calendar so you'd be speaking with me directly um, on behalf of venture studio and like i said it'd be 45 minutes and we'd really dive into your call but or call, dive in on your call and go through um, just every aspect of your business and see in what areas you could be stronger or where your strengths are at and your weaknesses so that we can really start to help you and analyze and put an action plan in place.
0: Terrific. Where can our listeners learn more about Venture Studios and all of the services that you offer?
1: Uh, Venture Studio.com. Um, usually right there on that homepage slider, we have resources around our masterminds and our C level for higher executive packages, our consulting packages. Uh, just everything's on that first page of the website. Uh, there's also a calendar section that will be going live here. And I'm not going to put a, a huge date on there, but it'll be all all of our 2020 events will be on that calendar it should be live here by the end of 2019.
0: Walden, thank you so much for your time today. This episode is a little longer than normal so that we can cover the seven pillars effectively because there's a lot of ground to cover. So be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and everywhere you find podcasts to get the next release, which will be coming out next week. God bless and have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Messes to Successes, a podcast by Venture Studios. To get access to resources, including free business training, consulting, and an inside look at growing a business, visit VentureStudio.com. This weekly podcast is produced and hosted by Walden Fenster, directed and edited by Chad Ketcher, copyright 2019. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn and get new episodes every Wednesday wherever you find podcasts.